Welcome everyone to episode 79 of 25 Live. My name is Jim Bernica. My special guest this week is Dr. Carrie Ramella. So Dr. Ramella has worked with Phoenix Police Department, Phoenix Fire Department, uh, Phoenix Firefighters Local 493. She's worked at the IFF. And now she does her own thing with Public Safety Crisis Solutions. Tons of stuff that she's worked on regarding behavioral health for our firefighters. So let's just bring her in and, and kind of tell her story. So here's Dr. Carrie Ramella. All right, welcome to the show, Dr. Carrie Ramella. Good morning to you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. All right, I'm so glad you're here. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. I don't, I don't think you have any idea at all. Lots of twists and turns, not really. But I already told you what I was going to talk about, so it's, it's all good. All right. No surprises. Well, maybe at the end, <laughs> but we'll get there. Um, let's start at kind of the beginning. Let's start with uh, just, you know, your job as being a, a dispatcher for the police. Uh, so I, I started like as a very naive 18, 19 year old um, as a 911 operator um, dispatcher for the Phoenix Police Department. Um, learned a lot in that uh, position. And actually, I was going to school and getting my bachelor's degree um, while I was working full time doing that. So um, stayed with the police department and worked my way up through the communications bureau to where I was a supervisor and then a manager um, before I left. And I, I stayed there and worked through my master's program. And then um, when I was doing my master's program, I decided to, um, we decided to try to create this program where we had a crisis response unit that worked with the police department and the fire department and would respond to scenes of calls. So I, I helped the police department create that through some grant funding and then actually did my internship with the fire department working on those vans. So then when I graduated, the fire department asked if I would, if, if they could hire me. And so I uh, ended up jumping ship and uh, going over to the lighter side of things and went to the fire department and stayed there uh, until I retired from uh, the city of Phoenix. So how, how upset were the police at you for leaving? Like, <laughs> like you traitor, we, we worked with you all these years and then you just abandoned us. You know, the, the thing with the police department was if I wanted to become an officer, then I could have, you know, done a lot of different things within the department. But as a civilian, I really was kind of, um, I was really kind of, you know, like maxed out with what I could really do, um, not being a sworn officer. And I had absolutely zero desire. I mean, they, many people tried many times and I had zero desire to be uh, working night shift with a gun, <laughs> you know, in, uh, in Phoenix. I just did, that just wasn't me. So Day, sh day uh, shift with a gun is okay, but night shift, <laughs> that's where you drew the line. I was like, I'm, I'm out, I'm not. <laughs> so yeah, so it, it was nice because I still was able to work with you know, in the crisis van program. So I managed that program for many years. Um, and, you know, actually at one point or another, we had that, that program built up to where I had about 200, over 200 volunteers working on the crisis van. I supervised um, all the university interns and the counseling and social work programs. And uh, it was a, a massive program and learned a lot and you know worked in the fire stations went on the calls um so i really got to learn you know what it was like to be on scene of calls with fire and police and and you know working those tragic incidents and seeing what it did to the officers and the, and the firefighters as well as you know trying to pick up the pieces of crisis you know for whatever family just went through whatever they went through so it was, it was huge. And I think in the counseling world, you know, that's something that I look for in counselors now is, do you understand crisis? Because that's really what you have to have a grasp of. And, and that's not really taught in school. And that that's taught, you know, in real life. And so if you don't 
you can learn counseling skills, but you have to be comfortable with crisis if you're going to work with this population. Sure. Well, let me ask you this. At what point did you transition to where you were concentrating on the citizens of Phoenix to where all of a sudden now you're turning your attention to the actual firefighters and, and officers? Well, so the way that our program was set up, so when I was doing my internship, <clears throat> I, uh, you know, you're working in the fire station. And so after, you know, the guys would just come to you and be like, hey, you know, what about this? Or what about that? Or, you know, what we found was it was kind of a natural um, progression where the firefighters were comfortable with us because we were with them you know, and they knew we could understand what they were doing. So a lot of times they would come to those of us that were working on the van and talk to us about concerns they had with customers of theirs or concern with family members or concerns with themselves. You know, sometimes it was like, hey, I have this friend that, and we're like, okay, tell me about this friend. You know, but it was kind of a natural progression where that we built those bonds. And then when I started managing the program, just because people knew me and knew I knew resources, they would call me. Um, and then at some point I um, ended up under this particular chief um, who was known for being just a real member advocate, you know, firefighter advocate. He was the guy that, you know, firefighters would go to to get help for whatever. And when I got under that chief, you know, it was, you know, you do what your chief tells you to do. <laughs> and he was really pulling me in that direction to, to do more for the firefighters themselves and their families. So that was a part of it. But the other thing that was really significant for me, and I had, I think I had just, I think I had just, I, I was new. So I was still, um, you know, fairly new. And unfortunately, um, we, I was working on the vans. I was like a supervisor on the vans. It was before I actually went to work for the fire department full-time. So I was working for PD full-time and then working for fire part-time um, as like a lead supervisor on the vans. And um, I got a call and it was the day that we lost Brett Tarver in a fire. And um, I was told, you know, I was off duty and I was, they were like, can you come to the hospital? And so I went to the hospital and, you know, all of a sudden I'm in the middle of um, just mass chaos. Um, and I am told that the families on the way and Brett had four, um, three daughters and um, his wife and three daughters were on the way. And so I ended up having to be the ones that um, uh, told the girls that their dad had died and, um, and just worked with that family. And, you know, after doing that, I thought, you know, if I never do anything else in my career ever, it was worth it just to be able to be there that day and to work with that family. And, I mean, I'm still friends with them now. And, you know, I think that that was just a real eye opener of the magnitude of what that took, you know, what that did to the department, what it did to the family, just the rippling effects of that incident. Um, you know, I was like, yep, this is, this is definitely where I can make a difference. There were some other types of incidents, particularly there was um, a good amount of suicides uh, throughout the department as well and that's correct me if I'm wrong but that's when you really got involved and and started being realizing you needed to be proactive and try to prevent that to begin with sure so so I, I you know had stayed in my position with the with the CR vans and then um and then we basically had um a period of time where we had um four suicides in seven months in our department and so obviously that rattled our department as well and something needed to be done. And so at the time we had uh, Chief Khan was our, our fire chief and um, Chief Khan came to me and said, you know, uh, we're taking better care of the public than we're taking care of ourselves. And that's got to change. And will you um, help us? Will you help 
um, I want to create a task force and I want you, I want this to be your focus. I want to take you out of what you're doing and, and make this be your priority for right now. So, so we did that. We had a task force that we, you know, started working um, and it was, you know, many members. And I'll tell you, when we opened up that task force, it was an open meeting. I've never seen, I mean, I've, I've been doing meetings in the fire department forever and we had well over a hundred firefighters come to that first meeting and they um, to give us opinions of what they wanted and what they needed. And that's really where it started. And, and we really took all of that information because I said, you know, we can have all these resources, but if somebody's not going to use them, they're not worth anything. And so that's where we started was, what do you guys want? What will you use? How can we do this? And so it was a three-year period of time where we put all of this together and um, kept that task force for three years. And then it ended up um, transitioning into a standing committee. So that way there's always, um, it can't go away, you know? So if there's a standing committee, then there's always a chair. There's a management chair and a union chair. And that is how we've kept our program, um, you know, surviving through, through these years. Yeah, very nice. At, at some point, you retired, but not really. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So my goal was to retire and, and teach at the university, and that never happened. So, um, so they, you know, basically a, a lot of the guys had a plan um, for me, and and you know, in the end, it, it was it was a good plan. So basically. Um, after you know over 30 years with the city of Phoenix, I, I went ahead and retired. And then the union hired me back. Um, and so we came up with a contract as to what that would look like. And basically I said, you know, I'll come back and I'll do this if you let me do it the way I think it can be done right. And so they were very um, they were very open to that. And so basically what I said was, you know, if, if we're going to do this, it can't just be me. You know, I can't, you know, our department is, you know, 2000 members, you know, there, you know, I, I can't do, I can't see every member and every family member. And so we have this EAP program that doesn't work that people don't like, that's a pain to facilitate and manage. And so I just want to create my own. And they said, Okay, and so <laughs> so I created my own company, um, handpicked uh, some of the firefighters and myself. Um, we handpicked therapists um, and created just building this program. And um, we kind of taught, we interviewed therapists and told them what we wanted and how we wanted to work with them and how things would, would happen. And, you know, it's worked. Um, so now, you know, it's uh, it's a pretty seamless process. It's something we're pretty proud of. It's something that you know seems to be. Um, we have now over a thirty percent utilization rate of our EAP program, and before we had, when we started the task force, we had a three percent usage, and then when we created a peer program and had peers kind of trying to get people to use the EAP program, we got it up to like ten percent. Um, but now with, with the program, the way we have it, we have over a 30% utilization rate, which is amazing. And that's on top of some of the other stuff that we've been doing. So I'm not a big stats person. <laughs> um, you know, it's more, um, you know, word of mouth is what I think is the biggest, um, and successes, you know, is the biggest, um, criteria I use to know if things are working or not. So um, the other thing that we were, you know, one of the big issues in the fire service that we've been working on is a lot of the presumptive legislation for, you know, the cancers and for PTSD. And so actually what we did here in Arizona was instead of going for presumption, what we did was we got a, um, a Senate bill or a House bill passed that basically um, mandates the departments to cover 36 counseling sessions at no cost to the employee for any type of a significant traumatic incident that they might have gone on. 
And there's some other provisions that go with that. But part of it is, is they're allowed to pick what counselor they want to go to. And, um, and that the counselor has to be paid at a certain rate. Um, and so by developing that protocol, um, we've been able to serve hundreds of um, firefighters and police officers through that house bill. Um, and it has made a significant difference. It's huge. You know, it seems like, and it's give or take, not everywhere, but for the majority of places, there's a distrust with the city EAP program. Mm -hmm. So being able to create your own and also the fact that the union, you know, took you, took you back, please work for us, you know, create this program truly means that they trusted you and they valued you, valued you and wanted you to stay and be part of this because they, they see how impactful you can be for the members and their families. So that's, that's absolutely huge that they were able to do that. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, I mean, again, and I know the stats are huge, but you've really been able to break the stigma of behavioral health over there. If you have that many members that are actually seeking assistance, I, I don't know if I've ever seen any numbers quite like that. So that's been a huge, I mean, that, that's been a huge endeavor from the beginning for sure is to, I mean, and that's, that's where we started with the task force. <clears throat> you know, we went to the chief and we said, the number one first thing we've got to do is we've got to do some training on suicide awareness. And, you know, that's scary. Like for a chief, you know, you've just experienced four suicides in your department and all of a sudden you have someone coming to you and saying that you want to go and talk about suicide to everybody. You know, like they're like, well, won't that, you know, what will that do? You know, and I'm like, it's going to save people's lives is what it's going to do. So um, we, we had, we had, you know, and again, this is, it has to be a joint effort, you know, management and union work together. That was, that's a true benefit of, of Phoenix, um, you know, that we've had that luxury of management and, and union working together on these projects. And, um, you know, just really having the, 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 the firefighters with, with the passion for this to see it through, because it isn't just one person doing anything. And we, we had some amazing firefighters that really took these things on as projects. And so we, you know, we train the whole department on suicide awareness. And then what we do now is um, like the peer team coordinator and the union chair, um, our, our vice president of member services and myself, we go to every recruit class and we teach every recruit class about resources um, about Fire Strong, that's, a, that's where we house our resources and about suicide awareness and taking care of each other. So that's done in every recruit class. And then, um, and then what I do is a year before their year probation is up, I get, I get invited back to the academy and they bring in all of the, the probationary firefighters. And I usually do two classes at a time. Um, and they come in and it's just me and them. And we talk and do a resiliency training. And we do it at a year because now they've actually been out in the stations. They've actually experienced what it's like to be on a fire truck, to be in all these, you know, at least three different fire stations um, and go on the calls and work with the different people and, and you know, be exposed to shift life and, family issues and all of that. So now we talk about how do you take care of yourself for the rest of your career? And quite frankly, how do you not end up like some of those firefighters that you saw in the station that um, aren't, you know, taking care of themselves? And we, we talk about that real openly in that class. And, you know, I get them to see that, look, you know, think about that guy because when he, when he was you, when he started, he didn't think he was ever going to be that way either. And he is. So how are you going to prevent yourself from getting there? So we do a lot of training on that. And, and, you know, it's just, it's about, you know, just, you know, taking care of each other. I mean, I'll have the RTOs at the academy calling me saying, hey, we're worried about this recruit. Can you reach out to him? Like they're starting, you know, that it, the whole membership has embraced, you know, taking care of each other. And, you know, this, 
this, uh, the last couple of months, we just started um, something that I, I, you know, I really kind of was awestruck. Um, and I was like, wow, we have come a long way. Because I, on Mondays, I had some peers come to me and say, Carrie, we think that it's time that we could have a group. We want to, would you be willing to, to do a group with us of um, invite only members that are struggling? You know, we've got some guys with depression and anxiety that are going through some stuff. And, you know, we've, and we've all been there. And, you know, we're helping them as peers, but I think it's a bigger thing now. And I was like, now they're coming and asking for this instead of me saying, hey, let's do this, let's do this, right? Like the guys are asking for it. So we started this group and I'd say we have um, about 10 guys in this group right now. And they're all sitting around and they're all admitting to each other that at some point or another, they've all had suicidal ideation. And we're at some point in this um, mix of trying to you know, figure out what's going on with them and to get help. And, and I was like, this is just so impressive that we've got guys that are willing to sit around in the same department and just be real with each other. And, um, you know, that to me, that's real rewarding to see. No, that's absolutely huge. And, and again, like you said, the fact that they came to you and it wasn't the other way around, you know, I, I feel like I try to push stuff all the time and it's yeah. not usually not well received uh i just don't think my members are quite ready for a lot of stuff yet so the fact that your members are i think it's huge it's a big deal well, yeah and it's those successes it's the guys that have gotten help that are going to help spread that word and you know we have over 120 peers now um we have retirees on our peer team and i think that's really you know, the peers are really who have made such a huge difference um, in our, in, in, you know, just the atmosphere and the stigma and everything. No, that's great. I, I did want to go back a little bit. There's, there, there was a lot to uncover there. Um, talking to recruits. Um, that's something I will get to do here soon enough. And I know a lot of the other listeners out there get to do that same thing. That, that's a pretty impactful moment when you're able to talk to them from the very start and give them the heads up that this is what you're getting into and this is what you need to worry about. That's not anything that I received, you know, 20 years ago. And most, mm -hmm. and a lot of firefighters did not get that. So if you wouldn't mind, can you kind of touch on some of the items? Um, I guess just the highlights of what you kind of preach about when you have that opportunity. So, um, our recruit training, basically we go in and we start with, um, you know, just some expectations, you know, like, you know, basically, do you remember that interview that you did and everything you said in that interview to get hired? Now we're going to talk to you about what that really means, you know, and um, so we kind of start there. We talk to them about some of the statistics, you know, like this is what this is what happens to first responders. You know, we talk about the, the divorce statistics and um, substance abuse and suicide. And, you know, we kind of throw some of those stats out there and talk is that an issue, you know? And we talk about, you know, how, you know, we all have our everyday life and our everyday stressors, but then what do we put on top of that as a first responder? So we, we kind of go into, you know, how sleep deprivation is going to eventually be a problem and about overtime and about self-care and managing things. And <clears throat> so we go into all of that and then we show them what all their resources are. Um, so we talk to them about the EAP program, what that means, you know, um, how they can use all these things. We talk to them about the peers. Um, we encourage them to get involved, you know, in helping and taking care of each other. It's like, you've gotten this job, now you need to give back how um, our <clears throat> member services program does, you know, lots of fundraisers. We do lots of, you know, just how we help the members. If you, if your loved one gets sick, you know, if you get sick, you know, how we've helped people and that they need to start um, investing in that. 
And then we, um, you know, go into, you know, the real basics of suicide awareness. So how can you see if somebody's, you know, not being themselves, if somebody's not, you know, okay, what are the warning signs? How do you take, how do you ask somebody? How do you acknowledge it? We'll actually throw out some case scenarios. Like, you know, you're a booter, you're a, a probie at a fire station and you've heard somebody say X, Y, and Z, what are you going to do? And that's a really tough spot to be in because you're this, you know, new guy. What are you going to do? But we show them um, what can you do as a new guy? You have lots of options. So the main thing is don't do nothing. Um, so we talk to them about that. And then we show some videos. We have some testimonials of some of our, you know, respected firefighters that talk about different problems that they've gone through and how they've gotten help. So it's, you know, I think it's really impactful, you know, and we talk about the fact that, you know, we've had, you know, X number of suicides, um, but I can also tell you that we've had, you know, way more saves than we've had losses. And that's something that we can't not talk about. We need to talk about that because that means that there's still people out there that are suffering that we can help and we can make a difference. So we talk about how your job is to save lives um, and now you need to think about saving your own lives. No, that sounds awesome. Now you kind of touched on earlier, uh, probably a good segue right there to touch on Firestrong. Cause I know it's a resource for all your recruits, but it's also a resource for everybody else that's out there. So, um, one of the things that came up out of the task force was, um, the membership basically said, we want a website that we can go to that we can educate ourselves, that we can find our own resources, that we can make connections, we can contact people, and we can do all of that confidentially without anybody knowing about it. And, um, and this is what we wanna know. What is counseling? What happens if I go to a counselor? What are they gonna say? What's gonna happen to me? What, you know, if I wanna check myself into a hospital, what's gonna happen? Like whatever their questions were, we had them write them all down. And then we, they, you know, everybody got together. It was a huge committee and developed all of this material. Um, none of us knew what we were doing. Um, you know, we found people that knew what to do. So we ended up creating the website. It's gone through many versions. And of course, when it was first created, it was for Phoenix. Um, but once you put something out on the web, <laughs> you know, everybody has access to it. So, you know, other departments started, you know, calling us and it was like, you know, we, you know, you, you only have so much time in a day and it's like we were spending a lot of time helping other departments and it was like, okay, how can we change this platform to make it be to where anybody can use it? And obviously there's cost involved in that. So, you know, we did have to come up because the, the, the union, you know, didn't, didn't have money set aside for this. So we came up with some different ideas and membership costs and how we could do it and found the right people to help us. And so we did open it up to where anybody could have it. And now we have, you know, like a social worker that we pay to help the department set up their resources and find their resources and know, you know, what their resources are to kind of help them along. So it's grown through the years. Um, and so has our, you know, our EAP program. I mean, we, we actually serve, you know, several different departments in, in Arizona now with our EAP. It's not just Phoenix. And, um, and that's nice too. And we do some training together with all the different peer teams. So now it's more, you know, we're looking at, you know, regional stuff, state stuff to try to help each other because, you know, everybody's fighting for resources. Sure. No, that's, that's great what you've done. So you've, you've touched on the recruits. There's two other um, particular groups that I thought I'd like to ask you about and see how you've been able to uh, help them out. Um, because I know that these are two areas that uh, I struggle with at least. So the first one being spouses. Have you been able to make any headway working with spouses? Because those you know, our spouses are the ones that can really tell if something's going on, if, if we're angry and it's not going away, if we're, if we're drinking while we're home excessively, I mean, they're going to be the ones that see it before anybody else, before it spills over into a lot of times our, our work shift. So 
Any luck with them? You know, we have a, that was something that was definitely put on our initial um, list for the task force. Um, I would say retiree, you know, like. Uh, that was retiree. the next group I was going to ask you about. Yeah. So retiree program and spouses. Um, so those are the two that we still, you know, aren't where we would like to be, um, I would say. Uh, so it's something that we definitely um, are still working on. One of the things that we did do, um, the spouses had some kind of a social media page that they had already had, you know, going. And so what we did was we invited the, the spouse that ran that social media page. We had her invited to the task force meeting. And so we used her as our conduit to get information out um, through her website, because basically we had limited manpower and limited resources. And so we needed to focus on, you know, the membership, unfortunately, and we couldn't do everything. So we felt like that was a way where we could um, get the information out, right, and get feedback and, and have a, a link just to, to the spouse network um, through this, um, this social media platform. So we did that. And then we did do, when once Firestrong was launched and the department was trained on it, we did do mailers to all of the houses, you know, so that the, you know, thinking that the, you know, spouses would, would get the mailer that would, you know, a pamphlet that would explain to them how they can access the website where they could then have access to what the resources are and people to contact and things to look for and educate themselves. So that was kind of, you know, really our initial push with that. We've had some, we've had some other, um, you know, things that we've done here and there with spouses, but we don't have a, you know, like we don't have a spouse peer team. We don't have anything like that per se. Um, and in full disclosure, I'm the spouse of a firefighter. So <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I, I feel for that side, but I, I also know that I, you know, like I have, I can't focus on everything. You know, I have to figure out, you know, my, you know, what lanes I, I have enough to work in. And so we're trying to figure out some workarounds with that. Um, we're gonna, through the EAP, we are gonna offer some um, trainings and group things. You know, we figured if we did it not through the department and through the union, through the EAP, we're gonna offer some like seminars, like a, you know, things for the moms, teaching, you know, like kid things. Like what we're finding right now is, you know, the homeschooling thing is really um, creating an issue for the firefighters and for the spouses. So we're trying to figure out, you know, some different, um, you know, just material we can put out to them all the time. So, so we're working on that. It's not where we would like it to be for sure, but, but we are trying to work on that. That's great. I, and I like that. Uh, I feel like I, I've been on the same page with you, which is, which is great. Uh, I did a mailer, like we, we created, and you can see, not everybody else can see it, but I, I created a QR code magnet that links everything to our, our peer website. And I mailed them to all of our retirees and current members houses. And, you know, I got, I got crap for it. Like, Hey, why don't you just give it to me? Why don't you just hand it out at a meeting or whatever to all the members? And I said, cause it would never make it home that way. It'd be in we everybody's had, we locker. Had some pushback. Yeah. We had some pushback, um, as well. Um, and so that's like, that's that line we struggle, um, you know, uh, we, you know, how much, you know, do, do the members want us to get <laughs> information home and how much do they not want us to? So we do struggle and straddle that line a lot. Yeah. Sure. Any tips on retirees? So retirees, our vice president of member services with the union has, has done an incredible job with retirees. Um, he has a, a team that works with him and um, they do a retiree brunch, um, I think once a quarter. Um, and then they, you know, they, they, we have a, a retiree that has kind of taken on widows and retirees and he 
you know, like if somebody's in the hospital, they or they do hospital visits, they do, we have a, a medical equipment account. So if anybody needs any kind of medical equipment, we have volunteers that will run medical equipment for people to use when they need it. Um, you know, he, you know, it's just like, you know, sending flowers to the widows on holidays, um, you know, just they've, they've done a really good job of, of staying connected that way. Um, we have something that we call a taco bus every, I think it's once a year where we make sure we invite retirees and active duty. It's on each um, shift and it's offsite thing. And that's meant to be a, um, a, a way to keep the retirees connected. Um, so we've tried a few things like that. We put the retirees back on, we put retirees on the peer um, team. And so they, you know, COVID has obviously stalled quite a few things, unfortunately, but they definitely, they wanted to do things like create a volunteer page and have, um, you know, different things that, that, you know, the union's working on and have a page to where, you know, retirees can sign up and volunteer and do some, you know, mentoring and volunteering. So we're looking at some things like that um, to just keep them involved you know, I think is, is the thing that they're looking for. No, that's great. I love it. So you mentioned, well, let me back up. It seems like you've done a lot of things for Phoenix Fire Department for their local, and it's gone so well that it's gone, it's grown beyond that. You know, the Fire Strong is a, is a great example of that. Another thing that you mentioned earlier that I know is, is, is just really starting with the IFF is the resiliency program. I can barely say that. You know, you think if I have a radio program, I would be able to say those words. Resiliency, ah, you know what I'm saying. It's all good. Ah. So you were a big part of that program, though, at least uh, getting it off the ground floor. Could you kind of touch on that? Yeah. So that was kind of the last, um, kind of the, the last thing on our task force. Um, you know, was, you know, we were going to do the initial, you know, suicide awareness training, and then how are we going to follow that up, you know, with taking care of yourself, right? So um, I was actually working on my um, doctorate degree at the time. And um, so I put, I, you know, focused my dissertation research on resiliency in the fire service. And so really delved into it. And then we were, um, you know, as a team, you know, we created a resiliency training that we wanted to give to the entire department. So, um, so we came up with this training and um, rolled it out. That was the last thing that I did before I retired and rolled it out to the entire department, which is a feat. I think it ended up being something like 80 or 90 classes I had to teach. <laughs> to get this thing rolled out to everybody. And um, so uh, so we did that and, and we just got such good feedback from it. I mean, some of the saltiest, um, you know, uh, you know, firefighters that with, you know, 20 plus years on, you know, came out and said, that's the best training I've ever had in my entire career. You know, I wish I would have had this when I started. And so that's really why, you know, that again, they drove it. They're the ones that said, you need to teach this to our new firefighters. So that's why we now have a spot in the, in, you know, for the probationary firefighters to teach it. So what I teach them obviously is a very scaled down version. Um, so then I, I started, a, you know, working with the IFF. Um, we, we started working with them when they were trying to develop their peer support program. And so there was a, Quite a few of us from all around the nation that got together and we all kind of all put all of our materials together you know from all the different programs and we you know took the best of everything from all of our programs and created the peer support training and it was you know a really um a really impressive you know endeavor to go through that process working with everybody from all over and so we created that and and you know we're teaching that and we you know through idc um we would that peer group comes together and we would plan okay what's next what, what are we going to work on are we revising this program are we developing something new so through idc 
um, some of the things that had come up was a resiliency training. And so the IFF asked if I would contract with them to help create that. So, um, so I worked on that with them and we finished it um, and rolled it out at the last Redmond conference prior to COVID. And then now we're in the process of converting it <laughs> to an online program because all the in-person training stopped. So now we're going to be able to um, to deliver it um, virtually, which has been a very interesting process. So eventually, when we have you know in person, we'll still have the in person um, version, but we also will have a virtual version. And we're doing that with the peer support program as well. We're converting that to um, an online virtual training. And you know, these are just you know people think, oh, it would be easy, but it, there's quite a lot of effort. I mean, hats off to Lauren and Sarah at the IFF because they are, have been working um, tirelessly to help all of us, you know, um, stay focused and, and get these projects done so that we can, you know, offer it to all the departments. So that's kind of, you know, one of the, the, the things that we've been doing from the IFF standpoint. And then that group, us, the, the instructors for resiliency and for peer support, the other thing that we do for the IFF is we do deployments. So if there is some kind of a crisis um, situation, a traumatic, you know, large scale issue that happens somewhere uh, in the United States or Canada, you know, there's a cadre of us, um, mental health professionals and peer supporters that the IFF will send to those locations to help those locals manage whatever incident they're working on. And so, by doing that, we just learn so much. Um, you know, there isn't anybody that I, you know, help or talk to or you know, contact that I don't learn something from, and that's what I love. That's why I like to go out and do some of the teaching because I, you know, just see what everybody's doing and stay connected. And so we do those deployments, and um, that's you know been another you know um, endeavor that the IFF has taken. Um, and obviously, COVID has has you know changed that a little bit too. I think we've done a few virtual deployments. Um, we have done a couple of in-person deployments, but um, obviously that that has changed a little bit due to COVID. But there's just the the work that they do is impressive. And and I, that's what I, what I tell everybody is if you're looking for some information or guidance, you can contact the IFF behavioral health staff and they will if they don't know the answer, they send it out to all of us and, and ask us if there's anything we can help somebody come up with that, you know, answer their questions. That's great. I actually want to piggyback on some of that, if you don't mind. Uh, you know, we're in a process of doing another peer support class for uh, our team. And the nice thing is, and this is, I'm just telling you all, all the listeners, if you were looking at doing this, it's actually cheaper right now to do a mm -hmm. class than it was traditionally. Uh, because you're not paying for the instructors to actually come uh, to your facility and, and do that stuff. So uh, now is really a great opportunity to get the training because uh, you don't have to worry about hosting it. You don't have to worry about paying for the instructors to at least travel and stay there. So it's cheaper. So that's one thing to consider. And then the other thing is uh, you mentioned deployments. I, I can speak firsthand from uh, when we had our mass shooting here a couple of years ago and the IFF sent some of their team members they were absolutely amazing. They really, you know, took control of the situation and just led us to, you know, what we needed to do, where we needed to go, because that is not something that had really ever happened here. So uh, they were amazing. It was a great uh, asset to have. And I mean, they never hear two days later. I mean, yeah. it was great. It was, yeah. it was amazing. Truly, truly amazing. And, and I think all of us, you know, have been in those situations. So, so um, you know, we've all benefited from reaching out and, and asking for help from others. That's how I um, first got, um, you know, you know, I'd always been, you know, working for the union, but I hadn't, um, you know, done it more than in my little bubble, you know, and when we had, well, I was still working for the fire department at the time. And I got a call and from the chief and he said, I need you to go to Prescott. Um, you know, they've just lost 19 firefighters. I need you to go up there. I need you to help them. And I was like, uh, <laughs> like, okay, like, um, 
Sure. So I, you know, ended up going up to Prescott and, you know, it ended up like I, you know, ended up living up there for six weeks and, um, you know, trying to figure out how to maneuver a situation that was unimaginable. And, you know, when we were working that, um, that incident command, um, the, the, you know, the, the heads of the IFF were there and they were like, what do you need? What can we help you with? What, what, you know, what resources can we find for you? I mean, it was impressive. And, and that was, um, you know, because everybody's in our area, I mean, our whole, you know, state was affected by that. And we were using so many resources in so many different ways. You know, I, I didn't have peers necessarily to, to pull from, you know, because um, they were doing other things. And so I ended up, um, you know, trying to figure it out, like what, what, what would work in that situation. And one of our 19 that had passed was um, the son of an LA County firefighter. Um, and I thought, you know, and the, the peer team from LA County, you know, reached out and said, we want to help some way, you know, this has affected us. And I thought that's a perfect fit, you know, because now they're, they're invested in this incident. And so I had the LA County peers come out and help me with that incident. And, and it was, you know, it was, I got to see firsthand how, you know, how amazing that, you know, was for all of us to just, you know, work together on a common purpose there. And, um, and then after that is when I got connected to the IFF and they, you know, asked um, for us to start helping in other ways. So it was, it was very, it was a, it was a very uh, humbling learning experience for sure. No, I can imagine. Um, it, it definitely was here too, but it, it worked out just amazingly. So I, I forever be in debt and thankful for uh, them coming here when we were in need. But yeah, I want to, now I want to throw you the curveballs that I talked about at the beginning. I have a thing called, and this is all, this should be all in good fun now. So I have a thing called the 25 questions. I'm not going to ask you 25 questions, but I have a list uh, numbered one through 25 and you just tell me the number and I'll ask you the random question and then we'll get you out of here. How does that sound? Okay. Sounds good. I'm going to go with the lucky number seven. Everybody picks that. Everybody. <laughs> going to pick I, a different number? I, no, no, no. It's fine. It's just, <laughs> like like, I could go back and look at all my shows and they pick number seven. <laughs> so, all right. Number seven. Okay. What is something popular now, but everyone will look back five years from now and think that was dumb or embarrassing something popular now dumb or embarrassing. i'm gonna have to go with tiktok <laughs> i've heard that answer as well that's good it, it's uh it's very prevalent uh right now and yeah it can't last forever <laughs> no. all right now that's good um how about another number uh so i'll go with 19 do you have a special place you like to visit regularly? I do. Um, so interestingly enough, um, my special place was my cabin, which happened to be in Prescott. And that's where I was the day that I got the call to go and help. And that's just, you know, so I have a connection with Prescott, you know, and that was my place. That was my escape. Um, you know, we have five acres and I just, all I see is pine trees. And, um, but I'm still connected. My cell phone works. I can take my computer. <laughs> so I can, it's the best of both worlds for me to be able to go up there. So and that's not, uh, that's not far away from my favorite place. Yeah. Sedona. Oh yeah. Sedona's, Sedona's very nice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. What's another number for you? Uh, we'll go with number one. First job. My first job. Did you have a job before you were dispatching? I did. I was a, um, I worked for Parks and Recreation for the city of Phoenix. Actually, my first job, I wanted to get a job and my mom wouldn't let me in high school. So I took some marketing class at school that made me have to get a job. <laughs> and I worked at a department store so that I could um, get a discount on clothes. And um, that was, 
that was my very first job was at a department store. But then I worked for Parks and Rec in the summer doing summer rec programs. That's like, uh, I liked hockey and events. So the first job I got was at a, like an arena. Yeah. So I can get paid to watch that stuff. There you go. Same mindset, kind of. Very resourceful. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's, we'll do one more and then I'll get you out of here. Okay. What do you got? Um, we'll go with 25. Favorite professional sports team? It could be college too. I don't care. Favorite sports team? Sports team. It'd have to be the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah. It used to be the Suns, but I got out of basketball. So I, I have to say it's the Diamondbacks now. They've got a pool. Growing, growing up, it was the Dodgers. So. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Anyways, no, the, I like to, I've been to Diamondbacks uh, Stadium a few times. They got the nice little pool in the outfield. Yes. Yeah. No, it's a pretty cool place. Yeah. I like it. All right. Now, for all my listeners out there, if they had any questions for you, they wanted to bug you with anything, where could they find you at? Not in the stalker way. Not in a stalker way. Not in a stalker way. Uh, so I do have a website. It's um, PS, so P is in Paul, S is in Sam, crisissolutions.com. And there's a contact us on that. That's probably the easiest way to, to find me. Perfect. All right. Next time I'm out in a Phoenix area for an In-N-Out burger, I'll also follow you. <laughs> yeah. Give me a call for sure. All right. Awesome. So once again, Dr. Carrie Ramella, thank you so much. Thank you.